0: Please pray with me. With mouths gaping open and eyes looking heavenward, we trace the ascension of our beloved Savior Jesus Christ back to you. We would like to stand here looking heavenward and thinking about how much Jesus means to us, but we are called to lower our eyes and get moving to serve you in this world, Lord. We can hold the image of his ascension in our hearts But our hands and spirits must be ready to do the work that you have set before us you have asked us to live out our resurrection faith and service offering peace and justice hope and healing to all whom we meet it is easy for us to lift the names of those near and dear to us in prayer in our worship service we want your healing mercies for all who are ill who mourn who are lost and alone. We want to rejoice in prayer with those who have received special joys during this week. All these things are important to us, and we know they are important to you, O Lord. Help us to live the prayers we ask. Help us to be agents of healing and mercy, of peace and hope. We offer our lives and prayers to you in the name of our ascended Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's Wrapping with Ross Sunday, and um, I've got a few questions that were emailed to me this week, and Stuart and Kathy and Elise are going to tell me the questions that you send in via Facebook and email also. So I'm going to take a shot at the first few questions uh, that I had emailed to me. The first one um, was about, (laughs) it's hard to know where to start because, like I said before, um, you all have started to ask really uh, nuanced and difficult questions. And so I'm gonna try my best to get to everything I can and try also to be cognizant of time. And so I'm gonna start off with what I think was one of the easier questions for me, and that was about the book of Psalms. Somebody emailed asking, uh, what are some other Psalms that we can look at? So this person knew of the greatest hits, right? Like Psalm 23, Psalm 100, the greatest hits from the hymn book of what we would call Psalms. And so I would just say a couple of things about the book of Psalms. First off, I think that if you're looking for devotional reading, the book of Psalms is a great place to start. And I would just start with Psalm 1 and work your way through. And so what you do is you start with Psalm 1, which, by the way, happens to be one of my favorite Psalms. And uh, I'm going to turn to it right now. And so Psalm 1... Uh, is a shorter one, and it says this, the truly happy person doesn't follow wicked advice, doesn't stand on the road of sinners, and doesn't sit with the disrespectful. Instead of doing those things, these persons love the Lord's instruction, and they recite God's instruction day and night. They're like trees replanted by streams of water, which bears fruit at just the right time, and whose leaves don't fade, Whatever they do succeeds. That's not true for the wicked. They're like dust that the wind blows away. And that's why the wicked will have no standing in the court of justice. Neither will sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The Lord is intimately acquainted with the ways of the righteous. But the way of the wicked is destroyed. And so what I would do with Psalm 1, if I were reading it for devotional reading, is I would just take a piece of paper, or a note notebook or a, a pad of paper and a pen, and I would start writing down any thoughts or ideas I have about Psalm 1, focusing specifically on attributes of God. And so one of the places where we find an attribute of God in this is that the Lord is intimately acquainted with the way of the righteous. And so I would write to myself about what that might look like, and I would write questions to myself. Um, the other question was around the word selah. And so in Psalm 3 is the first place that we see this Hebrew word selah. And it comes remembering that the psalms are musical. Most of them were meant to be sung and probably had musical settings to them. And so uh, Psalm 3 starts off, Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are standing against me. So many are talking about me. Even God won't help and so Selah is a musical term that we think means rest. And so it's just like in pretty much any other song or hymn, there is a place of rest where you just kind of take a breath and prepare for the next thing. And, and so anytime that you're reading a psalm, or at least when I'm reading a psalm, and I come across the word Selah, I read that word out loud, and then I pause. And allow my brain to catch up with the words that I've just been reading. So that's, that's uh I would start with Psalm 1 uh, and work my way through. But a couple of my favorite psalms that I would uh, commend to you. The first one is Psalm 143. I really like it. It's a psalm where the the psalmist is kind of crying out to God saying, Hear my prayer. Please answer me. And then the psalmist goes on to remember. And, and the psalm says, I remember days of old. And... And, and on your works, I meditate. And so remembering and meditating on the things that God has done in this psalmist's life. And that's a good practice for us to do, especially in times when we're feeling discouraged or afraid, or to think about the times and the ways that God has been active in our lives and to meditate on those to remind us that our faith does have action to it and that God is active in our lives, even if we can't ex- feel God's presence with us. The second question that I want to take on is one about um, the Bible in and of itself. This person wrote saying that they're doing a, uh, um, it's a little distracting out here right now. There's a roadrunner like coming right at me and I'm hoping uh, he or she will come over here and say hi. Anyway, um, so this person wrote saying that they're doing one of the reading through the Bible in a year plans and it has them bouncing all over the Bible. And their question was about how, how is it and why is it that we um, sometimes will hear parts of the Bible or read parts of the Bible, and we kind of reject that, and then other times we hold on to things. And the person was saying, like, I'm, I'm pretty good with us doing that on some of the things, especially about women, women and men power dynamics and some of the technical uh, laws that are in place in the Bible, but how can we show respect for the Bible and also at the same time kind of disagree with it in places. And what I would say is that if you're a person who reads the Bible and kind of gives thumbs down to some of the things you read and thumbs up to other things of the, uh, in the Bible that you read, you're following a long history of people of faith. So ancient Midrash and, um, and the ancient rabbis who wrote those Midrash we're always wrestling with scripture. And that's why one of the formative stories in my life is the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel of God. So Jacob is woken one night by the angel of God and wrestles with this angel. Gets the angel down and kind of is winning the wrestling match. And the angel of God says, let me go. And Jacob, whose name means the deceiver or the deceptive one, something along those lines, says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And so God blesses Jacob by changing Jacob's name from the deceptive one to Israel, which means the one who wrestles with God. And I think that that is God saying to us, wrestle with me, be in that kind of relationship with me, where when you read the scripture and you come across something that you don't understand or that you don't like, wrestle with me and tell me, I will not let you go until you bless me. And God... God will do that, and and throughout history, people of faith have always done this. There's this idea that we're going to believe the Bible just plain, and that's really not possible because all of us have life experiences that give us a lens that we read the Bible through. And so when I hear somebody say, well, I just just read the Bible, I'm going to let the Bible be the Bible, I understand what they're saying is that they want to wholeheartedly believe the words of the Bible. But also know that deep down inside, they're reading through a lens that's different than mine as well. And so we're going to have different understandings and different interpretations. And God is going to do different things in our lives through reading scripture. The next question that I remember being emailed to me um, went along with an article. And uh, the article was about how churches, especially right now in the age of COVID-19, are being used as political tools. And this person uh, had listened to our Bible study from Tuesday and went, did Alexio Davina Divina along with us. And their shimmering word or shimmering phrase was, be my witness. And the question was, how can I be a witness to and for Jesus when our faith is being so politicized? And that's a big, huge question. Um, but for me, I- I'll just answer it the way that I think about my faith is that, Um, I always want for my faith to inform my politics. And I think that oftentimes it's the other way around. We allow our politics to inform our faith. And I think our faith as followers of Jesus or people of any faith really, but for me, I'm a follower of Jesus is the foundational part of my life where I base all of my ethics and all of my theology come out of that. And so, um, I, I, I want to be a person, and I want to help Morningstar be a church that is based in grace-based theology. And so um, I want to offer room for people to have different opinions. But ultimately, my faith is mine, and our faith is ours, and it's not something that is political. Now, there are political things that are going on in the world around us. And what I think happens oftentimes is that we end up... um, Being polarized, being pulled from one another and forgetting that what Jesus was about was love and grace and acceptance and alleviating suffering in the world and making sure that everyone knew that God loved them. And so that's the plumb line, right? Like I look at the life of Jesus and I think about how Jesus lived and the words that Jesus said. And if there's some political ideology that doesn't line up with love and grace and hope and acceptance, then I'm going to push that political ideology away. And it doesn't matter to me if it comes from Republicans or Democrats or independents or libertarians or some podcaster somewhere, if it's not love and grace and hope and alleviating suffering. And if that means that I have to suffer a little bit so that you suffer less game on, that is the life of Jesus when we look at it. And if that's who we say our rabbi is and who our savior is, then we definitely ought to be living in that way. And so, yeah, people are, politicians are leveraging churches right now to try to gain voters. It just We just don't have to play that game. We are who we are, and we're about what we're about. And whatever they think and whatever they're doing, we don't have to get caught up in that. And uh, I know that that's probably not everyone's answer, and I'm okay with that. I, I've never been a pastor or a preacher it needs everyone to agree with me, and I hope that you don't, that you know that, like, I, I hope that you don't expect me to agree, agree with everything about you either. That's part of that give and take, the bouncing of the ping pong ball back and forth is remaining at the table together, even when we disagree and having conversations still. So those are the three questions that came to me via email. Stuart, do you have others?
1: I have a question here. How is it that the people Jesus picked for his apostles, apostles, after hearing so many of his sermons and being there to see so many miracles, could remain so dense regarding Christ's identity?
0: Yeah, that's a, I think that's a question that a lot of us ask when we're reading the Bible. Um But I wonder if people 2,000 years from now will be asking the same question about us. That after having these scriptures to read these stories of miracles and these stories of grace and these stories of love and these stories of Jesus going out and spending time with the least of these and the untouchables and the stories of Jesus going to the religious people and challenging them to live a more open and loving life. And we struggle to do that And it's in the historic record that we struggle to do that. If 2,000 years from now, people will look back and say, like, how did they miss it? How are they reading all these stories and still remaining dense to be about what Jesus was about? And the other thing is, I think that um, I think what happened in the ancient times is that they were so their worldview was so locked in that the Messiah was going to come. To kick Rome out and to make Israel be this nation that was standalone and sovereign and was powerful and that was God's people. And so they had this idea that was ingrained in them from the time they were born until the time they died of who and what the Messiah was going to look like. And then Jesus comes along and doesn't look anything like that. Jesus' kingdom is not about power and it's not about um, ruling and it 's not about physical kinds of power it 's about the power of love and that doesn 't look like it it's it, that would be hard that would be a hard person for us to follow even it is a hard person for us to follow and so um i i i don 't want to be um hard on the original disciples and the original apostles because the worldview that they were in just made it difficult for them to see who jesus was just like the worldview that we're in makes it difficult for us to see who jesus is
1: so the next question is um kind of a follow-up but from a different person who is your favorite disciple me personally um well they're not asking me and it's you're <laughs> rapping with ross
0: i i i love thomas i think why
1: uh, why do you love thomas
0: I think Thomas was always engaging his mind, and so, um, like, he gets this, repu- so I'll, I'll just back up. When I was church planting in Abilene, Texas, if I had had it my way, there would be a church in Abilene, Texas called St. Thomas the Doubter United Methodist Church, or maybe just St. Thomas United Methodist Church, because I think that Thomas was a person who tried to engage his His intellect and his faith at the same time, which is really important for us. We don't have to be people who believe blindly. And so when Thomas is called the doubter, I don't believe that he was doubting Jesus. I think he was doubting his friends and he was asking questions. And that's been turned into like, oh, Thomas was the doubter. Well, they all were doubting. None of them were, the, were like hardcore believers in the resurrection. I mean, when the two women run back to the house to tell them, we're not told that these guys were like, oh, wow, Jesus rose from the dead. We don't know what their reaction was. We happen to know what Thomas' reaction was. But, but um, Jesus' instruction to Thomas was like, you see because you believe. Blessed are those who see but don't believe. And I think Thomas, what Jesus was talking about was like, it's not that you're not blessed, Thomas. It's that other people's faith will be stronger than all of yours because they're going to believe without seeing. And that's us. But I I, I think of Thomas as being like the person who, uh, you know, I want my kids to be people who think and believe. I want them to engage their minds and their faith at the same time. Um, I had this thing happen to me one time. Uh, I was at a, I don't remember if it was a church camp or a mission trip with a youth group and I came home and, uh, I think Elise was a baby. And so Michelle didn't go with us and, uh, I get home and Michelle goes, Hey, here's this book of Mormon. And, uh, and uh, the Mormon missionaries are going to come by and see you, at, I don't know, Tuesday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And she didn't want to talk to them, so she made an appointment for me to talk to them when they came by the house. And so I read this Book of Mormon, and I found this place in, in the Book of Mormon where it talks about the lost tribe of Israel being American Indians. And I, I remembered from um, a class at NMSU, the American, an anthropology class that American Indians are Mongolian in descent, not Middle Eastern in descent. And so I was like, well, that can't be right. That's not true. This, this book isn't true. So the missionaries came by, and as we had this conversation, which is a really funny story that I don't have time for this morning, we had this conversation. They said, well, do you believe the Book of Mormon? And I said, well, I, I don't know that I believe it or don't believe it, but I don't believe that it's wholly true because American Indians are Mongolian in descent, not, not, not Middle Eastern in descent. Like there's, there's evidence that shows that. And they were like, we don't believe that. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? And they were like, we don't believe that. And I was like, well, it's science. What do you mean you don't believe it? And they were like, we just don't believe it. And so they left eventually. And, um, I was driving out towards the landfill to take some, take some, uh, some tree trimmings out there. And, I had this thought, like God speaking to me, essentially, of like, well, there are things in the Bible that science has proved aren't real. What do we do about that? And in my head, I was like, well, okay, what's the difference between belief and faith? What's the, how do I engage my mind and my heart and all at the same time? And so what I've come to believe is that the Bible is 100% true but it may, it may not be 100% accurate. I think maybe sometimes some of the stories we read, and this gets back to the question also about um, how do we pick and choose in the Bible, some of the stories that we read, I believe, are meant to be read as allegory or um, as, as uh, essentially as um, like fables, and, and that there's real deep truth in them. But they may or may not be accurate.
1: Last question. Last question. And if you can uh, be succinct and short. Okay. Uh, does the United Methodist Church have saints?
0: No. No. Not, not officially, not like the Catholic Church does. We recognize that people are called saints, but not in the way that the Catholic Church is. In fact, in, in most cr- of Christendom, um, anybody who is a believer in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and tries to follow in the ways of Jesus is considered a saint. So you are a saint.
1: Okay. Well, that uh, concludes our wrapping with Ross this time. Uh, well, that was fast. Some folks, well, we, we have a technical problem that we need to rush the end of service. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs>